You're listening to Holistic Living with Hazel, where you are informed, educated, and empowered to live your best holistic life. What's up? What's up? Happy, happy Thursday, and welcome to Holistic Living with Hazel. I hope you all are doing well. We have so, so much to unpack today. I'm excited about my guest today. I'm excited about just, guys, I'm excited just about being here and having an opportunity to do it all over again. I want us to know that um, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I wanted to give a big shout out to all my survivors who are keeping the faith and you continue to be an inspiration to us all. This month is also Mental Health Awareness Week that runs um, all this week and all through next week, I believe. Um, I want to just make sure that we all are aware of mental health, make sure that we are aware of how to receive help either for ourselves or others. Um, There is a national number, 988, that you can reach out to to call for anyone that you may feel needs help. And again, even for yourself as well. So, producer, how are you? Oh, yes, ma'am, Miss Hazel. I'm straight. I'm well. How you is? I am doing great. I'm doing great. I have had a wonderful week thus far, and I hope you have, too. I hope we are ready um, for the show. I thank you for always being there for me. I want to give you a public shout-out. Yes, ma'am. No problem. Thank you so much. And, Daddy, are you on the phone? I certainly am. What's up, Daddy? <laughs> it's a rainy night in Georgia. Yes. I am so excited, Daddy, to have you on the show. I guess I need to be a little formal. Clarence Henderson. Maybe I I mean, Daddy, what should I do? I think I don't even know how to call you Clarence Henderson, so I'm going to call you Daddy. But Clarence Henderson is on the show today. And, Daddy, I know that you know that you watch and you listen to the show and you know that you are not a guest. You are my co-host. So we are rocking the same way as we normally do. I'm excited to have you on the show as I have um, put out in my marketing tools this week that, um, and also last week that, This is um, truly special to me because I've grown up hearing the story and grown up hearing and you being um, teaching me and and preaching to me. And now I get to share you with the world. Um, I get to they get to hear all those things that I am have been privy to all these years. And so I'm so excited about that. And I thank you again for just always being there for me. I'm not even going to get emotional on the show today, but I just want to say that I thank you so much for just always being there for me and just making me who I am today. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your show. Uh, It just shows that uh, perseverance pays off, and it shows that uh, it's not uh, what gender you are. It's not where you come from. It's not where you uh, it's where you're going. It's not what's uh, behind you, in front of you. It's what's in you. So, again, I just want to commend you and congratulate you on moving to uh, uh, Georgia, not knowing anyone uh, a number of years, over 20 years ago, and now to be featured in your own show. Thank you so much, so much. And we have a lot, a lot to unpack. And so if you're ready to dig in, I'm ready to dig in. You ready? Ready or not, here I come. <laughs> Well, we are today, um, we are again discussing um, the topic of the Woolworth sit-ins that happened February the 1st, 1960, where four African-American college students sat down at the lunch counter at Woolworth in Greensboro, North Carolina, and politely asked for service. Um, You all's request was refused. When asked to leave, you remained in in your seats. The sit-ins sparked more economic boycotts during the civil rights movement. Movement, And we're going to get and talk a little bit more about that. But what the movement meant for me um, growing up and, and as a little girl was the act that a whole movement that was a life that was that had 
pretty catapult catapult life and history in itself was sparked by by young men who had not even began their own life's journey, but sparked a whole generation to come. That's that's a thing that has brought me to where I am today. That's when I look at this situation and this movement. That's the part that I hone in on. And so we're going to get into that. Um, I did have a couple of questions that were brought in by my listeners, and I pulled those in as well. Um, And for you all, I do open up when I air the topic, I do open up questions for my listeners. And so you're able to get questions to me that you want to ask. And I do pull those. So I will make sure that you all know and you're aware of that and you know that when to come in and and write those questions or give me those questions. So the first question I want to start with you um, is setting the tone for us about what the climate was in both on the campus of A&T State University and on the streets of North Carolina during that time? Uh, the climate uh, of 1960 uh, was in the era of time known as Jim Crow. Uh, Jim Crow meaning racial discrimination based on race, based on a person's color, uh, color one skin rather than uh, the content of their character where uh, African-Americans were treated less than human. Uh, Jim Crow laws kept us out of white-only spaces. Uh, During the 1960 era time, many uh, blacks protested Jim Crow laws. And Jim Crow laws were uh, state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation. Uh, We were denied equality. Uh, We were... Uh, it was for me. It was like slavery by another name, and so even though the Thirteenth Amendment had been put in place in 1865, right right after that Reconstruction, right after Reconstruction came in, they wanted to go right back to doing uh, the same things that they were doing before. So this was a uh, a terrible time in America, and uh, a lot of things that you see changes you see going on right now in this country as a result of the sit-in movement that we participated, that I participated in, and how we changed the course of history by getting us uh, as a people to be recognized that we are equal to anyone else. And so um, we have to make sure that the history of America is told, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so people can recognize what they do need to do to defend their freedom as far as this country is concerned. And so, again, I am delighted to uh, come on your show and pass the torch of liberty to the coming generation. Yeah, you're actually on a show for the first time for us on a uh, Love Love 860. And I'm in a new studio, Daddy, and the colors and everything. So this is great for me to be the the first in, in the new studio and the new show as end station and to have you on. So I thank you for that. Well, you're quite welcome. And one of the things that's so important about knowing your history, uh, uh, if you don't know you, where you uh, come from, how can you know where you're going? That's and right. The history of America needs to be told, and I lived out a part of history. This is not based on theory. This is the era of time that I lived in, uh, and during that segregation time, I, a little more insight is that I never went to an integrated school. I was bust all my life, uh, but uh, they, even though they had us uh, uh, one step out of mental bondage, I refused to be held captive. And uh, one step out of a physical bondage, I refused to be kept in mental bondage. Uh, and had the advantage of uh, of uh, 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 living in a uh, growing up in a two parent home, whereby that uh, uh, it taught me what it. My father taught me what it meant to be a man, and that's what uh, I know. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the, the right, whole, whole point of it is, is that uh, anyone listening on this call can make some can make a difference. You have to decide to do that. So when we talk about the climate. Um, you know, when that you talked about this being the Jim Crow era, you know, everyone being on edge, of course, violence every day you would see um, for for people who were protesting, people who were just walking down the street um, 
for you, what was the actual strategy and plan that was presented to you and who presented it to you at that time or for this whole movement and how it was supposed to go? Well, uh, actually, I got involved on um, February the 2nd, which is just the picture you've seen and people have seen of the sitting movement of the four students sitting down at the lunch counter. I'm the four students on the right hand side, and I was all of 18 years of age at that particular point in time. You were 18. Yeah. The strategy and the plan was to, was nonviolent, um, to sit quietly and wait to be served, and. Um, to make sure that we brought to the attention of the American public um, what was going on in America at that particular point in time. But our strategy was not to commit any violence, but do uh, do it peacefully. Because see, in in, in the uh, Constitution, the thirteenth, uh, uh, in the Constitution, the, the the First Amendment says that we have the right to peaceably assemble, and so that was our strategy. And uh, how I got involved, I was invited by a guy. As a matter of fact, I talked to him yesterday by the name of Ezell Blair, who I started out with him in the first grade. And so he came to me on the second day. And the only reason why I didn't get involved on the first day is that I did not know about it because I, those four guys, the initial guys, they stayed on campus. And I lived off campus, so I found out about it by when Ezell came to Bluford Library on a and campus uh, uh, downstairs where they had uh, – uh, uh, where the, uh, the, the students would gather down there, and he told me what it what had happened, and asked if I would get involved, and I told him yes, I would, and, and the main reason I did that was because of the experiences I had growing up of uh, being mistreated uh, as a human being. And do you know, outside of that, was that is what God's plan was for your life? You know, why did they, you know, decide to bring you on in? Well, um, the idea was they came, uh, they they did the movement on the first day, and they went came back to campus to recruit some more people to uh, get involved, and I was one of the people that they recruited because they knew that the movement, and in order for it to be a movement, it had to be continuing, and had to have enough effect on the city of Greensboro to cause a, a change to take effect. See, I love that you you all when you told me that that was very um, it was very strategically done. It was you know, it was people put you you all put thought behind that when you told me that it was like you all kept that movement going. So if someone got arrested, um, you were able to then have someone come right behind to fill that spot, you know, so that you make sure that this was not a one-time deal, but this was a true movement that would be happening. Yeah, it was 176 days before the lunch counter was integrated, and um, the strategy was that we picked uh, Woolworths because it was a chain store, and we hoped that it would catch up uh, and and. and the other stores, as a matter of fact, uh, before this movement was over, it was it was uh, done in 55 cities in 13 states, and so oh wow, it was a movement, a uh, far-reaching movement, all up and down the southeastern part of uh, 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 of United States. As a matter of fact, even though uh, Woolworth was integrated in New York, uh, some kids took up the movement there. So this was a very strategic, uh, and the idea was to bring attention to. Um, what was going on in America to make sure that, and what it was, was a, was a test to find out if our Constitution, if those words on the, on the, on the, on the paper, our, our Constitution, if it was really true or it was just a piece of paper uh, that uh, didn't have any meaning. So we found out that uh, because of the rule of law, we were able to sit there and um, be able to uh, uh, protest those number of days before uh, it act, the counter was actually integrated. Uh, and let me just give you an idea of what it was like there, because um, in Woolworths you had, uh, I can't remember growing up, when I was growing up as a kid uh, with my mother, and downstairs you had two bathrooms, one saying color and one saying white, and you had two water fountains, one saying color and one saying white. I used to look at the water coming out of the water fountains, and they looked the same. I wonder what the difference was. It was not any difference. It was just the fact that uh, it had been decided that, uh, uh, that that we should be separate equals. My question always has been is that 
if we are equal, why do we need to be separate? So we were treated uh, uh, differently uh, just because uh, uh, of what we look like. And and to that point, you know, setting us more of the tone, I've always seen this infamous picture that you speak of where you all were sitting at the counter. There was a, in that picture, there was actually a black waiter in that picture. How that day, what was his reaction to you all when you came in? And, you know, what did he do? Well, obviously... Um he had a concern about him working there, and because uh, uh, someone looked like him was sitting at the counter, uh, what would it look like as far as his job was concerned? But our concern was not about, uh, 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 our concern was just one thing, to make sure that uh, we were able to, to uh, sit at the counter and eat. Now, you have to real, realize that it wasn't that we couldn't order food, but uh, we could uh we had to order food to go, but we just couldn't sit at the counter and and eat the food. And so, oh, so you could you could order the food to go, yeah. right? Yeah. But you could not eat it there, right? Okay, okay. So, um, our concern was not about uh, uh, necessarily about the the guy working there. Our concern was about the fact that whether or not. Uh, we could uh, sit there and, and eat just like anybody else, just like another normal human being. Right, right. So when they took your order, I'm just trying to get the sequence of it. Did you all order and then, you know, they realized that you all weren't moving? Or how was that sequence of, of events? There were no orders taken. They acted as if we were not there. It was like we were invisible. And um, they... Uh, Waited on other people that didn't wait on us, uh, and they act like that 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 that, that we did not uh, exist. Uh, and so uh, the idea of uh, uh, us make, uh, uh, making an order uh, it never came into effect. The only time an order was taken was at the end of the uh, movement, which went all the way to July, July twentieth, I think it was, or July twenty-sixth, somewhere around that time, where the um, Black employees that worked there were the first one to sit down and eat at that lunch counter. At oh wow! I did not fact, now that part you didn't tell me that. Yeah, uh, and I never, I, I never ate there, uh, but I, I sat there for the right to be able to eat there. But uh, so I broke ground um, for others to come behind uh, me and and uh, and the others that were there that that we we made a change because. Uh, that, that was a shot that was fired all around the world when we stood at that lunch counter. The only reason why it was such an outstanding event uh, was because blacks were sitting at the counter where they were not supposed to be, where the written code of law known, known as Jim Crow forbade them to do so. And so we made this stand because we were sick and tired of going through the same thing we've been going through all our lives uh, 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 we know coming from families of hardworking people, uh, living out, uh, having make America what it was that particular point in time, but not having the same privileges and opportunities as others. And so uh, it was just an historic event, uh, such as it was. I, I bet, you know, just the, you know, let's talk a little bit. You know, the listeners want to know about the fear factor. You know, we kind of talked about this, you know, of the tone of not just, um, you know, on Auntie's campus, but the tone of Greensboro, North Carolina, the tone of our nation, but that tone in Woolworths. Um, was there fear, you know, of, of something breaking out? Um, I've always, you know, wanted, you know, I always ask you, like, where at that moment was your, you know, was your heart pounding? Were you, you know, looking around? Like, what did that feel like? at that moment when you all were sitting there being ignored, not knowing what's going to come next, what, what, was, what was the conversation? Did you all talk to one another? What was your, you know, your fear? And the second question or part two of that question is, did my grandmother know you was doing this? No, I'll answer, I'll answer the... <laughs> 
my parents had no idea um, that I participated in the movement until the paper came out and they saw my picture in the paper. Oh, wow. So, you know, as a, and you know well yourself, when you become a college student, you're sort of disengaged from your uh, parents and they find out what's going on after the fact. So, no, they didn't know anything about it now. The other thing about the fear factor, um, this may sound strange. I don't know. I can't speak to anybody else, but I had, didn't have any fear. See, for me, I believe in divine intervention. Right. And what happened, and you know, I've told you before about how I was raised, uh, born in a little, uh, little town called South Carolina, uh, a little town called Townville, South Carolina, uh, and my father was a sharecropper, and he worked for a guy that was white, and they became good friends, and um, he named me after that guy, which helped set the tone for, set the tone for me to help bridge the gap between the races. And ever since I've had an opportunity to do that, that's what I have done uh, because it was a part of what I was called to do because, see, I did not initiate it, but when I was called, I did answer the call, which is so important that you answer the call for things that you believe in. And so I, and the other part I was I was raised up in probably the worst section of Greensboro, and so uh, I'd seen a lot of things go on that prepared me for that. So fear uh, was not a, a factor in my sitting at, at, at lunch counter. I sat there not for notoriety, but I sat there because it was the right thing to do. And uh, we have to defend uh, the things that we believe in. Otherwise, we move back toward King George III. I definitely, definitely agree. And I know you've always talked to me about uh, the fear factor and, you know, moving past your fears. And um, that fear can be something that is the most crippling thing for you moving, moving forward. And so um, I know that day was something that was definitely um in the forefront of that movement and which you all of you allowing that fear to not cripple you, but to make sure you stayed on the assignment. And that is, you know, what something, again, one of those things that I've taken from this story. The other thing that I've taken from the story, and I want you to talk a little bit about it. Um, I do a lot of, you know, um, speaking with uh, young men and women, um, about their future and, and going into um, about the company that they keep. My listeners always hear me talk about proximity is power. We, the people that you allow in your space can either make you or break you. And so I want to for you to kind of talk about that, about you being you all being together as young men starting this movement how it started with just a strategy and a plan. Um, you all just talking and just coming together changed the whole entire world and the trajectory of where we are today. And just talk a little bit about that because I really want to hone in on that, especially for my young listeners when we battle against, oh, well, we're just friends and they're doing what they want to do. I'm over here. What they do doesn't influence me. Um, we're just over here talking. We're not doing. Yes, you are. Your your involvement with each other, how you involve with you, how you involve with one another can make you or break you. So I just want to talk for you to talk a little bit about just the camaraderie between you all and just that movement that you all began yourselves. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, yes, it does. There, there is an old adage that says association brings on assimilation. And you can normally tell what a person's all about based on the crowd of the people they, they hang around with or the people they engage themselves with. And so these were a were college students that were... Uh, uh, attending uh, school to, to make a, a better life for themselves and uh, wanting to have the best life that they could have. Uh, and so it was, it, was, it was about a cause rather than about any individual that uh, we were going to make a difference no matter what. 
and even to the point of it, if it, if it uh, and you had to realize that there was, this was back during the time of Jim Crow, and uh, when I walked in F.W. Woolworths on that particular day, I did not know how it was going to come out, uh, whether in a vertical position going to, in handcuffs going to jail, uh, or in a prone position going to the hospital to the morgue, so it changed my perspective on life. And so there was a value uh, that we had during that time that uh, one of the greatest opportunities we had to improve our lives was to be able to go to college and become successful. And so this was a part of uh, 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 our becoming, uh, uh, showing that uh, we were capable of, of making our own decisions because the uh, college is just one part of it, but most of your life is, life is spent outside of college. So this was uh, some important decision-making where I can look back at this particular point in time and say that I did have the courage to stand up for that which I believe in. And uh, uh, when, when, uh, uh, when you do that, then you've done all that you can do. And so for the uh, young uh, uh, kids today, uh, you, need to be, you need to be careful of who you uh, associate with because I've seen situations where about, uh, that uh, uh, people have uh, gotten caught up in situations that they were not involved in, but they were just there with the other the crowd of people. And so it's so important because it only takes one time to make the wrong decision. It can, it, it can affect the rest of your life. And so uh, to show you uh, uh, what kind of difference I would make now, uh, even though I tell you I was, I was raised up on the uh, uh, rough side of uh, Greensboro, uh, there was a value system that came from the home, and I saw my, my, my mother and father who were married for 63 years, and uh, they raised uh, they were, uh, raised two, three uh, young men uh, to be adults. And uh, we all worked together to, to make our lives better. My father was a great example because uh, I saw him work six days a week. Uh, went to church on Sunday, never smoked, didn't drink. I never heard him curse, but I can hear him right now just like he was in the room right now while I'm talking to you here and praying because I hear him praying every night. So he was about uh, doing what was right for himself and for his family. So that's what we were doing. We were uh, imitating <coughs> what we had seen our parents doing. We knew that success, uh, a lot of success predicated on uh, how, the kind of education that you had. So, uh, and so we, we, we added that to it in addition to education to make a, a change that, that, that it resonates even to, even today. That is, that is, it's it's awesome, and I'm glad that you said that um, in reference to our listen, our young listeners, um, because I I definitely, you know, reiterate that to them on a consistent basis. <coughs> understanding the impact of being around people, the impact of influence, and the impact of inspiration. You know, people inspire one another, and constantly being around those that inspire you, um, it's not that you imitate them, but that you begin to want to get what they, you know, get in line with what God has for you um, as you see them in line with what what God has for them. I always say that um, there's a difference from being appointed and there's a difference to being anointed they're two different things and when you know that you're anointed for that time and that moment it will all fall into place and I know that you all eventually at some point in this in this where you saw the impact that you all were making understood even at a young age that you all were definitely anointed for this time and speaking on that um, after we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the impact that this movement had, um, not just the ordinary impact of civil rights, but the economic impact that you all um, changed, again, the world based on sitting at that counter. I do want to um, before the break, um, to my listeners who are asking, um, my dad is off location. So the best way to hear him would be for you to go to Love 860 app. 
and download it on your phone and then click on that app and the radio show will come up. That is the best way to reach. Um, we're, we have a little bit of audio here in the studio, but um, especially those who are on Facebook Live with me and Instagram Live, um, the best way to really hear and um, follow the show would be that you download Love 860 on your app, Google Store, or just Google it. And it will come up on your um, cellular device and you'll be able to hear the show. All right. We will be back after our break. Thank you again for um, being a part of the show. We were we left off talking about the impact of this movement, and we talked about the civil rights impact that it had. But I want to talk more about the economic e- impact um, that this movement had. And did you all know or had any idea of the economic impact impact were you all trying to have that was that part of the strategy or plan or was this something that you all learned through the process that this could happen with you all in this movement well i learned through the process because i had no idea uh, about the economic impact uh, how it would impact uh, Woolworths and actually the uh, city of greensboro as far as that's concerned but what has happened is that later on I found out that uh, it caught, uh, uh, Woolworths lost uh, $200,000 during that time. And to uh, compare that to today, that today that would be over $2 million they lost. So the economic impact was something they understood because money is a universal language. And uh, the store was in business to make money uh, and sell their products. But... Uh, because we were occupying all the space there, even at some at one point in time, there were some. I was told some 500 uh, people in that store, so nobody could shop there. Oh wow! So it had a a very great impact on uh, the uh, uh, on, on Woolworths, and uh, so that that was a great part of what uh, made the change come about, because uh, we as a race of people shop just like anybody else do does and when we decide that we're not going to shop at a certain place or uh, take our money someplace else it does have an impact and that's what they understood the same thing would happen with down uh, with Dr. King and those when they start riding the bus it had such a great impact that had a uh, played a great part in integrating the uh, ride of the bus uh, where blacks would sit at the back of the bus and whites at the front of the bus and so uh, uh, that, I think that was just a, uh, we were led by God to, uh, to for people to, to realize that we were not as invisible as they thought that we were. And can you give us those numbers again on the economic effect that it had and related to those numbers today? It has, it, 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 has, it was written that 
during that time that Woolworth lost $200,000 uh, back, and that was in 1960. And in today's dollars, it'll be over two million dollars. So that's not a drop in the bucket. That's a that's a significant amount of money, and uh, they couldn't continue on like that. They would have had to have closed that store. And so, as I said before, it was not just a movement. It was a combination of the movement, plus uh, the effect uh, of the, that the movement had over and above uh, integrating the, the county itself. Uh, it had a great economic impact on uh, uh, that particular business. As a matter of fact, uh, 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 as I said, the whole state, uh, the whole city of Greensboro. Of course, you had some people said, uh, like Dr. Willoughby Player, who was the president of Bennett College. Uh, she had decided that uh, she would not shop uh, um, at, at uh, certain places until uh, the county was integrated. And by the way, Dr. Willoughby Player was a uh, at that time, the president been at college, and she um, was a great advocate for what we were doing, uh, and uh, she was a great support. So we had a lot of support system behind the scenes uh, based on what we were doing, but it actually jump-started when, when uh, those four young men sat down at lunch counter initially. This is awesome, and I, I, I know this answer, but I want to know, um, how was how is being a part of such history do you feel has had an impact on your life today? And, you know, I often talk to people about the impact when they ask me and they find out that I'm your daughter. Um, you know, I talk about the proximity of power and of power being associated with people and understand the power you have that being around could change, being around someone can change your whole world and also the world of others. Um, also, just being um, econ economically knowing um, those numbers and how I know that my economic, really, my economic uh, situation and the situation of others can change the trajectory of your life and history, right? Um, but how has you, how has it been for you to be a part of such history? How has it impacted your life? Well, I guess I'd have to get, tell you a little bit of my story uh, uh, to make your audience aware that there are so many people that think that their life does not, uh, in their life they cannot make a difference, but you can make such a great difference because do not despise small beginnings. Uh, and uh, if you step out on faith, it's, it's no telling where it will take you. Uh, I think about uh, there's a statue of this guy. He's uh, got his uh, his fist on his chin thinking while the world passes him by, and so he's not doing anything, but other people are going about their business, making uh, progress and making changes in life. So uh, from that very situation uh, has been such an outgrowth in my life because uh, as I talk to you uh, now, uh, Former, I am the former chairman for the Martin Luther King Commission for the state of North Carolina, and currently I'm the uh, uh, the uh, president for the Frederick Douglass Foundation uh, for the state of North Carolina. So I've I have so many people calling uh, on me, wanting to know why I did what I did, how did I have the courage to do what they uh, they did, and and I go back to something you asked me before without fearful. And one of the statements that I make all the time is that if you are fearful, if you do the things you fear, the death of fear is certain. And you don't know what kind of difference you can make unless you step out and, and, and try it and you'd be surprised the kinds, the kinds of difference that you make. Because, see, again, uh, we live in this country called America where it offers opportunity, but uh, one of the things you have to understand is that uh, freedom is not free. There's a price that must be paid, it must be paid in full, it must be paid up front. And there are far too many people in this country that cut their teeth on the confidence of security and far too few people to cut their teeth on the true grit of courage that is required for freedom's sake. And so people like myself that have gone through and, and by going through it have carried people over, have to reach back and tell our generation coming behind us what we went through 
to uh, uh, arrive at where we are right now because so many times they want to call people that look like me and you, they want to call us victims or survivors, but we are not that. We're overcomers. We overcame slavery. We overcame Jim Crow. And how dare we, at this particular point in time in our lives, in 2023, step back and say, I cannot do because of the color of my skin. Uh, it may, uh, it's, uh, as I said before, it's, it's not way, you know, you may start behind as a thing called ketchup. This is a race of endurance. Life is a race of endurance, and you never know uh, what you can do uh, unless you try because the, the, the greatest help you can find is the end of your own arm. The greatest hand you can find is in the end of your own arm. And if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can. Right. And you've always often instilled that in me. And I can't tell you how it has, um, again, changed the trajectory of my life. Um, there's nothing that I don't feel like I can accomplish. Um, yes, hard work is there in front of me. However, I know that I, whatever I put my mind to, and if it is in line with what God has for me, there's nothing to stop me. And then I know that those things were built on, those thoughts were built on what you all experienced and what you all took part of on that day. One of the questions I had um, from my audience is, what would you tell a young man today? And I guess this came from a mother. <laughs> it had to, based on how it was written. What would you tell a young man today on the importance of being a part of something great and the importance of being around people who are innovative, visionaries, and go-getters? Well, fortunately in America, we have a thing called choice. You can choose the road that you take. Uh, and in order for growth to occur, changes have to occur. And so that person, that young man, has to look at himself and, and, and think to himself or do a self-analysis and determine where he wants to go in life and what he's doing right now, if it's going to take him to that point that he's looking for. And so it, 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 it's not necessarily what your lineage says because, see, again, um, I, the only thing, I had a, 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 the good fortune of being raised up in a two-parent uh, home, but I had no reference points in that uh, my parents only had a third-grade education. I'm the only person out of my immediate family, and I said immediate family was, Myself, my mother and father, and two brothers that actually graduated from college. So I had no roadmap to follow except that I saw how people could, could become successful based on uh, uh, the attitude they had. Because one a great example is that my father was a farmer when he was in South Carolina, but when he came to Greensboro, he never worked for anybody but himself because he had this skill set and he, he wasn't taught uh, that uh, I've seen him take a car out of a motor, uh, a motor out of a car, uh, and, and take it apart and put it back together. And uh, uh, um, if he heard it run, he could tell you what was wrong with it before he had all his bells and whistles. Now, if you uh, look at that from another point of view, uh, because I didn't see anything, I, I, didn't, I didn't value what he was doing at that particular point in time, all I saw was a great grease on his fingernails, and it cost me dearly because I know nothing about a car except changing tires and all that, but he could do anything with a car you'd think of. So it's up to the person to decide what kind of price you want to pay for your success because success has a price, but it also has a formula and a great satisfaction when you know that you've done the best that you can, and it's not necessarily that it makes history, but the fact that you have lived your life on this earth and you made an impact and made the world better than it was before you were here. I love it. I love it. And I hope that that um, listener, that listener was um, listening and can give that, uh, that her child um, those points of making sure that it's not about, um, you know, like you said, it's not about them getting to a point and making history as you all did, but it's, uh, but it's about, getting in line with what God has for them, making sure that 
they are they surround themselves that by others who have the same type of wants and needs for themselves and for their life. You know, and you tell me that all the time, like you can't you can't ride the fence, right? <laughs> you can't be on this side saying I want this, but then your actions are something totally different. Well, Hazel, uh, uh, think about a person such as Harriet Tubman, uh, how she uh, was able to uh, cause a, a lot of people to become free, but there were some people that chose not to step out on faith, did not have the courage to uh, take the, the Underground Railroad to freedom. And so they were held captive all their lives, but because she said that she believed that uh, uh, mankind... Uh, humankind was uh, uh, born to be freed, and she uh, that's what she did. Think about a person like uh, Frederick Douglass that was born a slave. The only time that he saw his mother was at night uh, and was taken away from his family, did not know his exact date of birth. But look at the history of what he did. He not only was very successful as an abolitionist, but he was successful. Uh, he had his own newspaper. Uh, he was more uh, readily recognized than Abraham Lincoln, and back during that time, uh, actually, he was one of the uh, only blacks that could walk into uh, the White House, and Abraham Lincoln would receive him. And there's a great history about the relationship that he and uh, 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 Abraham Lincoln had. And you think about uh, he was a part of uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, uh, pushing him to write, actually, Right, the Emancipation Proclamation. So, again, it's a decision that you make uh, as to what direction your life is going to go. And it's not going to be a straight line. Issues of life will come up. But it's all right to get knocked down but not get knocked out. Because uh, so long as you have the breath of God gives you the breath of life in you, uh, you still have a chance. And so uh, where you are today is not necessarily where you'll be tomorrow. And... Uh, what i found is that the goals that you have, put them on paper so that you have something uh, uh, to look forward to. Set yourself a standard and look at uh, the progress that you made. Do not try to keep it in your head, uh, but look at uh, 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 how bad you want how bad you're willing to, willing to work for it. Because the uh, idleness is, is the devil's workshop. But I stay busy all the time. Now I'm 82 years of age, and I'm still an avid reader. I read. It's not a day that goes by that I don't read something, so that I can get gain more knowledge to understand not only how to better improve my life, but I have I have grandchildren. I have uh, great grandchildren, and I'm concerned about what kind of America they will live in. And so they need to know that they have the capability of of, uh, of doing whatever they want to do if they set their mind to it. Love it. And not only are you an avid reader, you're also an avid writer. <laughs> and your and your book we are going to talk about after we take this next break that brings us to that um, Forgotten Courage, which is the title of your book. And we're going to talk about that a little bit at, and, and then we're going to close it on out. So listeners, we'll be back. I gotta be honest, I don't know. This time I don't have the answers. I'm just out here trusting God. Sing Monica. Why would I think that I can't handle this alone? When so many things in my life were going wrong. People I love. Made promises they didn't keep It wasn't the first time I should have known better yeah. I tried to do better There was no one to blame but me There were times that my faith got weak Father. I just found him, trusting, trusting 
when life seems out of control. Be still and know. Be still. That God is in control. Still in control. When it doesn't make sense. Be still. That my God. You might have to cry. Back, we are back. Daddy, you there? I, I certainly am. Okay. Here. <laughs> okay, we left off um, where you were speaking on how there's not a day that goes by at your age, at 82, still looking good. Um, at 82, that you don't read. And I also stated in there that um, not only are you reading, but you also are writing. And that leads us to your book that you've written called Forget Forgotten Courage. And it chronicles your life, not just as a civil rights participant, but as a man, a father, businessman, Christian. And there's a life, there's also life lessons in there as well as how your views of where we stand on where you stand on issues concerning our world today. Please tell our tell our listeners a little bit your inspiration behind. I'm writing Forgotten Courage. Um, well, you know, I, I have been so busy living my life that I never really thought about uh, my story being written except until people kept coming to me saying, well, you ought to write a book about uh, uh, your life and what you've done. And so uh, as and I had started before the book was actually written, written going back and chronicle and looking at some of the things that have affected uh, my life and some of the things I've been a part of. Uh, and uh, uh, for me, it doesn't look to me like what it looks like to others. I see myself as an average, ordinary person that has taken advantage of the things that God has put me in front of because, see, defining moments are not unusual. We all have them. Uh, what we... You know, those moments don't define us. It's what we do in those moments. That's what defines us. And so uh, the uh, forgotten courage is about uh, that that courage that has been forgotten in America. It's a unifying message. Uh, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll borrow the words from Dr. King, and it shows that unless we learn to live together as brothers, we'll perish together as fools. And you have to have the courage to affect change because you can do that. And uh, leadership is so important, and leadership is a thing that you develop, and the only way you can develop leadership is through experience, and you never know what you can do until you try. Uh, there have been some things in my life that, uh, as, uh, I'll tell you, one of the things that was uh, uh, affected my life is that I, when I, the whole 12 years of going to, to school, I never thought in terms of going to college. It was only in my senior year when it came up, the opportunity for me to go to college, and I never thought whether I could uh, complete it or not, but because I stepped out and took the chance, then uh, I was able to get a degree in business administration and spent almost 30 years being in business with myself, doing mortgage investments and things like that. Uh, uh, the Wall Street type of stuff, again, because I took advantage of the opportunity, and uh, it, it, it was a... Uh, 95% of, of, of sweat equity and walking by faith and not by sight uh, because I don't believe in luck. I believe that people are put in your life for a reason or for a season. You have to decide which one it is and decide uh, who you're going to listen to uh, about how you should live your life. And the other thing is that I am a very proud parent of, that uh, I raised my uh, two daughters to, to believe in themselves and learn how to do all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, you can remember, uh, a lot of people may not know it, but there's not, not any kind of car that you can't drive because I taught you how to drive on a stick shift, not on the automatic. 
And so just. Uh, yeah, I was so mad when you had you made me <laughs> learn how to r- drive on a shift. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Here's the thing. I didn't want you to ever. I, I got stranded one time because of that. That's what changed. When I was uh, in the military, went downtown with this guy. He had a stick shift. And he got drunk, and uh, he was sitting in the drive passenger side, and I only used to drive an automatic. And you and couldn't get home. Trying to change, <laughs> trying to, uh, change gears, and I'm I'm guiding the car. Yes, that's one thing about it. There is nothing that I cannot drive due to you. So I thank you for that. Right. <laughs> Yes. Well, I definitely um, want to. All all of them that have children, they have a great responsibility to train those children in the way they should go. And because those children are God's gift to you for you to give them back to him. That's it. Well, I want to thank you, um, Daddy, for, you know, just not only being a guest on the show, but to also just thank you for being an inspiration to me. I live every day to, um, even at the age of 50, I still live every day thinking on the influences that I have that you've made on my life. And I, the decisions that I make, I still, at again, at 50 years old, still have that eye, what would, what would you think, you know, and the impact that you have, that it would, my decisions would have on you. And it has guided me, even down to writing a book. You know, Daddy, you wrote your book, and now I'm working on mine. So you just don't know how much um, you influence me. And I just thank God for you every single day of my life. And if you all have not gotten this book, um, even though I talk to you every day, um, I read this book, and there were still things that I did not know intricate things that I did not know about you and I learned. Um, And so I definitely, and I'm proud of you because your book is selling like crazy. And so I want you, I am going to put the link up again, but if you could just speak the link um, to where people can um, get this book. Okay. NC, that's North Carolina, NC Faith and Freedom dot square. S-Q-U-A-R-E dot site, S-I-T-E. Uh, they tell me it's a great book. Uh, but, again, I'm so proud of you, Hazel, of the things that you're doing, and, and you're just getting started. Oh, yeah. I believe that. It's just getting started. And I'm here for every single thing that God has for me, um, even through the journey. You know, thing, when things get difficult, uh, you always tell me, you know, um, being an entrepreneur, you always told me being an entrepreneur, uh, being a visionary, being a leader, it ain't for punks. You got to really pull yourself up and um, surround yourself with good people um, and, you know, be able to stay girded up on each side, prayerful every single day. Because, you know, um, as I've watched through your life, um, you know, as you're doing things and being a leader, you know, the attack and the enemy will come. And you need to be ready. You need to be ready and know who you're dealing with. Um, but the biggest thing is know who whose you are and know the strength that you have um, in I that. I will leave you with this. Uh, do not be like lights walking shadow, a poor player who walks and stretches out upon the stage and then is heard no more. But lives of great men remind us that we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. And I ask your audience, where are their footprints? Are they moving forward in a positive way? Uh, or are you just standing still? Love it. Love it. Love it. Daddy, again, thank you so much. I will put, I mean, people are DMing me now. I will put the link up um, in the, at um, Holistic Living with Hazel, the link to get your book, Forgotten Courage. I hope you all were encouraged. Um, on today. I hope you uh, got more insight on the Woolworth sit-ins that happened in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the environment and the and, and the impact that it truly had on those that um, actually participated. I love you all. I will see you next Holistic Living show. And remember, please live your best holistic life. 
Thank you. Have Thank a you for listening to Holistic Living with Hazel. Tune in to iHeartRadio or TheReal1100.com. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to Holistic Living Podcast with Hazel.